Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brook, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Corrine O'Donnell, I am really, really excited to share your story and hear a bit more about you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jules. I am a big fan, so it's nice to be, uh, (laughs) and a bit of frightening to be on this side of the microphone now, but I am looking forward to our chat. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. So first off, why don't we tell everybody what you do? What is projecting? So Projecting With People is a uh, project team coaching and training business. So essentially what I do is just like a performance coach, if you're wanting to run a marathon, um, your body needs to be properly tuned to do that. You need to know exactly what diet you need to follow and all that sort of stuff. Um, I do exactly the same thing for project teams. So I work with um, C-suites and I understand what they're trying to achieve in their business and Mm -hmm. often uh, projects are the way of being able to deliver that uh, result for you. But most people are good at what they do. They're just not good at delivering projects because most people don't specialize in it. So I help your delivery team to be able to run the marathon essentially. Wow. That is a really, really, that's probably one of the best descriptions I've ever had of someone (laughs) on the website, not giving me a whole lot of fluff, but just like getting straight to the point. I thought that was brilliant. Um, Well done. Tick, tick. So Corrine, uh, let's go right the way. Oh no. Well, no. In fact, I'll ask you before that, why did you set it up? What, what had happened? Was there a light bulb moment or what happened that made you decide to set up projecting with people? Yeah, um, look, I I wouldn't say that there was necessarily a light bulb moment, but there were many years of frustration coming out of corporate, as I'm sure a lot of people uh, have before they start their own business. But I was an independent consultant and I was, uh, my reputation was for for being brought on when people had failing project teams and they became icky and yucky um, and they just needed somebody to help get them over the line. So I would come in and then work my magic with the team and deliver the projects um, and sell the outcomes and what that I realized like, can I just say that sounds really horrible <laughs> that you're always having to come in at a time when they're in crisis <laughs> well yeah but I think the thing for me is everybody sees it as a big mess whereas I see it as an opportunity so I don't it doesn't look like a war zone to me um, which is probably yeah. my salvage my salvage uh, well my saving grace really um, I see it as here are all the things that you haven't um, yet tapped into and I know what outcomes you can get out of it. So I realized very quickly that my um, genius zone, if you like, um, was really to tap into the people, the, the team, know how to re-motivate them, help them to find the strength and the skills within themselves um, and then within each other to then deliver the project. So it was sort of less about the actual project itself and more about the people who the are people. on deck, as we know. So, Oh, my um, God, you s- you just sound like the perfect person to get in. I mean, you know, exactly the person I would want if I had a team that was, you know, going through difficulty. Even as you said that, you just sound so calm about it all. 
<laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So that's how I got into it and I just decided and I would offer that service because people were paying consultants a hell of a lot of money, which, look, I, I was able to benefit from that. Um, yeah. But I realised that people had um, a lot of the skills in-house and that's what I do these days. I go in and I help to upskill your team without having to have expensive consultants around. I just I just teach you how to do it yourself, really. Oh, my God, what a godsend you are. All right, well, let's go right back and see how your career has developed to um, to this stage. So where did you grow up, Corrine? What size family did you have? What did your mum and dad do? So I, well, I was actually born in Mauritius. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. Lucky horrible. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it, I mean, look, it's beautiful going back on holidays, but now that I've experienced what I've experienced in Australia, I would probably never be able to go back long term. Right. Um, but my parents were, um, I guess they in back in Mauritius, they were probably middle of the range, you know, wealth um, earners, right? So they didn't really have all that much money, but they um, they had, my, my dad had a good enough office job um, to keep our family going, I suppose. Um, but with a lot of smaller countries, we there wasn't too much in terms of progression and opportunities yeah, opportunity. were very limited. So um, they decided, and my dad already had some family in Australia, so we decided to immigrate to Australia Back when I was seven, um, in yeah, nineteen eighty six, and um, and my dad was of an HR background, um, yeah. so growing up, that's what I thought I always wanted to do. I always wanted to get into HR without really knowing what it was, but I liked the idea that of role modelling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I liked the idea of working in an office, and you know, just all that sort of stuff that came with it, I suppose. Um, and I was always a little, a bit of a talker, so um, I, I followed in my dad's footsteps in that way. So I thought, well, that seems like the natural <laughs> progression. So. Um, so yeah, we came to Australia and it was tough when we first came to Australia because my family, um, you know, they, they were just um, labourers in a lot of ways, I suppose, even though my dad had an office job, um, he yeah. was still, um, he was still at the mercy of lots of other people and decision makers. So when he yeah. came to Australia, his skills were not recognised in the same way that they were back in Mauritius. So oh. um, yeah. I and keep it was hearing tough. this, it's so frustrating. Mm, it is. It is frustrating. Um, but I guess, look, it's made me the person that I am today. Yeah, so I could dwell totally. on those negative things, but but those things often. So what did he do? What did he and your mum do when they arrived? Because, I mean, we emigrated here as well with no family, but my yeah. dad was a doctor, so he was able to go out on his own. What did, what did your dad yeah. do to be able my to support dad- the family? My actually, this was, I mean, it was really a turbulent time for us because when we first came to Australia, my dad couldn't get a job um, and he'd been the only one who worked in the family. And so my mum in the first week of arriving and her English was almost non-existent, um, actually got a job in a factory. So she became the main income earner. So that, you know, flipped our family upside down. Oh. Yeah, it changes the dynamic as well between the two of them. What was it that absolutely like? absolutely did. It was, I mean, it wasn't a pleasant time for any of us no. because I guess all of us had to grasp this new role. You know, my mum couldn't look after us, for example. She she was out working and um, she she was always the one who was there for us and, you know, that was her, what she loved to do. Yeah. So it was really tough for her. It was tough for my dad because he felt like he'd had his manhood taken away to yes, some extent. Yes. Um, so it was a really challenging time and thankfully after it probably took my dad about eight or nine months, I can't quite remember, but around that time um, to get a job and he got a job as a clerk back in those days um, in, in HR. So he was an HR right. clerk. 
Um, so things were looking up, you know, everybody had. Um, and you're in Melbourne, sorry, income. were you in Melbourne at that stage? Yes, yep. yes, we've always been in Melbourne. Um, right. And But then we, we experienced the recession we had to have, which unfortunately just, you know, my dad took another battering from that time. So he lost his job. He was made redundant. Oh, um, no. And he hadn't been in the workforce for long enough for that to amount to any amounts of money or anything. So yeah. um, he was let go. And my mum still worked. So it was really tough for my dad. And Do you think that they had a bit of a wobble as to should we go back? They must have at that stage. My dad wanted to go back, you know, I think at every minute of every day. Right, um, right. And it made him, you know, angry and upset and, and sad and all of those emotions, as you can imagine, really. Yeah, um, totally. And my mum wanted to go back too because this is not the life she signed up for and working in a factory no. just and how doing many, whatever. How many kids... How many kids do you have, brothers so and sisters? Are, there are two. Yeah, I have. So I have one brother, and that's it. So okay. it's just the two of us, and we're quite close in age. So and thankfully, we've always been quite close. So he's a year and a half uh, younger than I am. Um, right. So we've sort of always had, you know, been on the same trajectory in terms of where we're at in our stages in life as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that so was a really you... really tough time. Yeah, and and so what did he do then? I mean, I can imagine how. Really, I mean, he must have felt awful at that stage. Like, it's taken me nine months to get a job and then I lose it. Yes. What, where, and his confidence must have taken a massive battering. Absolutely. It <coughs> did, definitely. And so he... Um, he couldn't get an office job for years after that um, oh, because obviously no. when you've been out of the workforce for longer and longer and at his age, so he came to Australia, well, he must have been in his early 40s or not even, I think he was late 30s actually. Um, right. So, but, but back then, you know, people had been in the workforce for much earlier as well. So he just, he was expected to have had a certain level of experience. Um, his English was, was relatively fine, but because he didn't have the things on the CV, you know, it's the old way of looking for, for people. Um, yes. he, he just couldn't get that role. So he had to do lots of other labor jobs, which, you know, it depleted his confidence. Um, and he was not, yeah, he wasn't in the place that he wanted to be in his life and absolutely not expect where he expected himself to be because when it was his choice to leave, um, Mauritius on, on the advice Even of worse his family. In some ways. So then he's really absolutely. kind of feeling the guilt and frustration, absolutely. I imagine. Yes, that's so, right. So. So yeah. through all of this, you were at school. How did you enjoy school, especially um, look, as a child? I mean, seven, what would you have come into, what, grade four or something? Uh, grade two, actually. Grade so, two. Yeah, so I came grade two, grade three. Um, yeah. Look, it was it's, – it, the, the good thing about being a child at that age is um, – or at that time is you don't really recollect – the difficult no. times because I didn't know how to speak English at all. So I only knew oh, two right. words, which was yes and no, and I had no idea when to use either of those words. So people would, oh, you know. Karine, so how do you how do you go in primary school when you don't know any English? I don't know. This is Kids are just so resilient. I, yeah, I was yeah. lucky enough, and it's interesting because I came at a time where people didn't know anything about Mauritians. We were, you know, we were definitely a minority Um but I, I was lucky in that I never really experienced any form of racism, which I know lots of my friends who came at that time did. So oh, really? I think that just made the journey a lot easier for me. Um, and I why don't do really. You think, why do you think you didn't get race, racism when they did? What was to it be about frank, you that. Yeah, I think, tell me. I think it's because I didn't really 
it's the way of, well, I think I didn't fit into one, any particular basket. So I wasn't, right. I probably looked a bit Indian, but I wasn't Indian. I spoke French, but I wasn't European. I, you know, lots of different things. So people couldn't really pigeonhole me. And you sound and I think really I've, exotic to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel it at the time when you'd go to school with all these interesting, different types of food and all you wanted was just a ham or a Vegemite sandwich or something simple. <laughs> and my mum would give me all the funky smells of the world to take to school. So you know, it was all. That is so funny. Yeah, it was all different and new. And um, but I think, I, and I think this is why I do what I do today. I've always been a people person. So, and yeah. maybe that's why my journey was a lot easier. I um, I I would always just um go and speak to people, and I was always curious about what everybody did and what everybody you know what they were interested in. So I think when you when you turn the spotlight to somebody else and, you know, you get people to talk about themselves, all of a sudden they like everybody. So, <laughs> so I think yeah. that probably helped me in a lot of ways. And I, I wouldn't have known that at the time, but I know that now looking back, that's probably what's helped me. And I've probably never even thought about it to this to this depth until you've just asked me that question, <laughs> to be go. honest. So. <laughs> oh, these interviews always throw up things and people say afterwards, Oh my God, I've never said that or thought that before. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so talk to me about, were you good at school? Did you enjoy school? I mean, you obviously had a steep learning curve at first. I did have a steep learning curve. The good, the advantage though, was that in Mauritius, the um, the schooling system is probably a year and a half ahead. So, yep. and, and it has to be because it's so competitive. So when I came to Australia, I had that buffer to be able to learn the language, even though I... Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I was probably ahead in terms of the schooling itself, the academia yeah. side of things. So It says something about Australia, actually, because I came over from England and I was talking to someone yesterday about this. I came over from England at the age of 11 and a half and moved into year seven, but I could have easily gone into year eight or nine. Easily. Yes. Yes, with with exactly what I'd learned and what I you know learned over the next few years, um, and now you're saying Mauritius as well. It's just is Australia just the most backward country in the world? <laughs> when it comes to we education? love it here, but yes, in some regards yeah. it probably is. And I guess Mauritius um, probably is advanced because we do take our education from. It actually comes straight from, from Cambridge, Europe. right? Yes, yeah, right. So, well, then, um, totally, that makes sense as well. Yeah. Okay, so you finished year. Um, you finished primary school. Mm-hmm. What was high school like for you? So high school was, uh, I was always the chatty kid. So I was, I was always getting into trouble for being too talkative, but I was probably a good student. Um, you right. know, I was, I, I, if I applied myself as my teachers told me on just about every report card, I would, I would find schooling very easy, um, but I would often get distracted with, uh, you know, with chatter and oh, being yeah, social. Yeah. I can oh, relate yes. to that somehow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so did you go to year 12? I did go to year 12. Um, that period of my life was quite difficult because, um, uh, because we just had a lot of problems at home. So, uh, my parents ended up splitting up a little bit after, well, actually when I was at uni, but, um, and my, look, you could probably see the picture already. My dad became quite unhappy with his life. And, um, yeah. so it was just not exactly. a great environment to be around. Um, so my parents. Split and did up your mum continue to work all the way through? She did. She did. Right. So, um, you know, and she went through lots of, um, emotional turmoil as well. I mean, it was, when you look back, there was yeah. so many pressures on both of them, um, to be able to raise this family in this foreign land that they had no knowledge of and could and never really be And when they're really not getting any lucky for. breaks, it sounds Absolutely. like, you know, everything that could go wrong kind of almost did. It really did. So, it really did in a lot of ways. So so yeah. how did that affect you in year 12? I mean, how did you get through? 
Um, it, it affected me enormously in that um, I did not do well in, in like academically in the way that I could have and I wanted to. And for a while I sort of lived in regret a little bit. Um, so yeah. my, my score at the time, I don't even know what the scoring, how they score these days, but it's um, TR score when I was – um, I think that's what it's still called. I'm not sure. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I go back to HSC, which was all very simple. And yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, my, mine uh, felt very simple Although I was too. saying yesterday to my kids, I've got twins who are doing year 12 at the moment, and I was saying we were having a chat with my neighbours and I was saying for us it was all about the exam. If you either failed or passed, depending yes. on how you did in the exam, nothing to do with how well you went during the year. Yeah. So yep. with you yep. a little bit younger, I assume that you were also getting credits for um, yes. things during the year. So Absolutely. did you pass year 12? I did pass year 12. Um, well but done. what it did do is it made me, so my, a lot of my friends went straight to uni, whereas, yep. and I could have, but it couldn't, it wouldn't have given me the options that I wanted. So I actually went to TAFE for a year, but it actually made me want it more. So um, right, yeah. I accelerated my learning, my education. And then it, I, from that year of, of, uh, TAFE, I went straight to uni and then I did an HR degree, funnily enough, um, following ah. in my dad's footsteps. I um, think in some ways that's really good because for those of us that sailed through school like I did and then kind of just there was no question it, it was going on to uni, I really didn't value it. I really wasted three years of, of education until I – and I got – I basically went back and completed it a couple of years later, but um, couldn't really give a shit basically yeah. about, yep. about yep. uni. For me, it was all social and nothing to do with the work. So to have had that year out and then come in as a, you know, really eager and hungry to learn kind of a student must yeah. have been great. So did you do quite well in the degree? I did. I did very well yeah, in my degree. I bet. So yeah, and I, I, I did well, but actually towards the end I realized that oh, I wasn't loving HR. That's because I guess <laughs> <Uh -oh. laughs> I, I know. I, I loved I, I mean I still went through it, but I, I loved the idea of helping people, but I didn't yep. love the idea of all the admin and the legalities that sat behind it. It was definitely not my thing. Um, right. Yeah, and so I, I finished it, but um, that took me, I mean, and eventually it took me in a different different path, which is why I'm not in an HR role anymore yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, what, well, tell us what happened. <laughs> so so while I was actually doing uni, I, um, I had my first, uh, my very first job because my dad had very strong ideas about wanting to support the family. So yeah. we weren't allowed to work until we'd finished our studies. So while I was at uni, I know, different mentality. It's so tough, isn't it? I can see exactly where he came from, but really to hold you all back that way I when know. he wasn't able to get the work himself, it's yep. all tied up with his ego and his self-confidence by the sounds of it. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, but um, yeah, tough so, on you. So, yeah. That was my first job um, and I worked as a debt collector actually. So I remember applying for a job. I just wanted money. I was like, I just want independence. I just want money. Um, and I and back then we were having a look at, at um, job posts in the newspaper as we yes, used to do. Yes, back in the day, the age. Yes, and I called up the agency and, they, and it was actually for a travel job. Um, and they said, do you have travel experience? Just because I thought it sounded amazing and who wouldn't yeah, want a job in travel at that age anyway. Um, and they said to me, well, you don't have any travel experience, but you have 
have great phone manner. Would you like to come in, you know, for an interview? I didn't even know what I was being interviewed for. I was like, yep, that's fine. And, um, and it turned out it was actually for GE in their collection right. center. <laughs> and I knew nothing about debt, finances or any of that sort. Um, but well, thankfully they trained. Well, I a fast learning curve I there did. then. <laughs> I did, I did. But it taught me a lot and actually – Part of, you know, me loving those icky projects or, you know, being able to deal with difficult people, I I put a lot of that down to my training as a debt collector because, you know, I was 20 and I knew nothing about debt and I'd have people screaming on the phone to me and you really need to be able to hold your own and develop that strong personality type to be able to do that. So um, it taught me a lot and in that area, so I – while I did that for five years, even after I finished uni, so they offered me permanent a permanent role, and I was there for quite a long time. And um, in and that with, well, time, with your upbringing, you probably went woohoo! Actually, being given a solid job, absolutely uh, more than and anything would have been yeah, and the stability <laughs> and the and the regular money. I can imagine that would have been Definitely. very attractive for you at that stage. Yes, it was very, very attractive. But um, and, and so while I was doing that, and I've always been a very curious person, so my job was solely on um, in the call centre to take calls and, you know, and um, – and, and take customer queries for overdue accounts. But I've yeah. al- I was always interested to know how accounts got there to begin with because I'd get people who'd yell at me and then it was because they didn't understand the terms and conditions at the beginning or somebody didn't explain something. So that's why they fundamentally, they weren't bad right. people or bad payers. They just didn't understand the system. So I started um, offering my time and I even offered to do it for free, but I eventually got paid for it um, to do, to sit into the customer care, just to listen, to see how these calls came in and what happened, you know, at the beginning of the journey. And then even when they default further and I sat with a legal team, so I actually learned end to end what happens on this journey. Can I Um, just ask then, was that your idea? Did you go in and say to them, this is what I'd like? I can see why you're such you were such a, a good employee. Like, wow, that's really smart. Yeah, well, I, I think it's. It didn't feel smart at the time. It just felt. It felt logical because I couldn't, yeah, you know, demand money from people if I didn't really understand the full journey and and I couldn't educate people properly. So, so because I did all of those things and and because I, I gathered all that knowledge, I was actually offered a secondment position on a project um, that came up, uh, which was actually about the launch of the um, I think it was the One Link Mastercard at the time. Um, okay. It was one of the first few cards that were coming out. So I was um, I was offered a secondment position just just to test some of the things that they were putting into place. And when I did that, I, um, it was only meant to be for six months. And very quickly I looked at their test scripts and I said, but you guys aren't testing the whole thing because what about these things? You're not capturing this information. So before I knew it, they sort of said, all right, can you rewrite the test scripts for us? Yeah, and- can we have the smart girl come in please and help us? <laughs> and, and, and I found, I just really found so many things on projects that I was really good at that I'd never even known. I, I didn't know what a project was. I didn't know well, this look, whole Can we just world. explain for the audience? Cause I know when I'm met you for a coffee that was my first question what do you mean by project yes because I think of projects in IT and I think of projects in construction Mm -hmm. and my background was account director which is kind of running projects in design but and and advertising but what exactly do you mean just for anybody that you know has no idea that's listening 
Well, actually, it's it's a it's all of those things, really. So a, a project is really something that you're trying to achieve an outcome from that will be quite unique every time. So either the the customer will be different. So it could be construction, it could be IT. I mean, my in so this, it doesn't matter. For, for it really in, in doesn't your matter. terms, it really doesn't matter it what really, industry and, they're and in. And in fact, my clients these days range from construction, IT, mining, security, all those sort of stuff. So um, okay. because they're all people who need to achieve something in the end, and they need yep. to put together a temporary plan of how to get there. That's really the definition of a project. And um, maybe, and the other thing I think of with projects is it's something with a deadline. Absolutely. Would you say it's, that's correct? Definitely. So it's something with a deadline, so it has to finish. If it's something that yes. goes on forever, then it's what we call BAU, not which is business as usual. It's not a project. There has to be a, a defined scope. There has to be a yep. defined timeline, so a finish date. Um, and normally something will be different. So it wouldn't be a pro, like a production line where it's the same thing all the time. Your client will be different. Their need will be different. Their environment will be different. You know, the budget will be different. All those things will be different. So but the skills that you need are managing budgets, understanding timelines, being able to get the team together to work together to uh, an end, allocating roles, I guess, and then making people sure that people are sticking around with it. Is it all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Exactly. Spot on. That's exactly right. what Amazing. it is. Amazing. Um, so I interrupted you. So that was your first project role, which came out of the HR, uh, the, not the HR job, the debt For collection GE. job. Yes, that's right. Um, so, so, so what came next? So I did such a great job. They they extended the the probation for or the secondment for another six months, um, where I helped with a lot of other projects. So I then, um, and again, I didn't have any knowledge or background. I didn't even know what these these roles or these titles meant. I just knew that <laughs> logically. If you need to test something, for example, you need to understand what are you trying to achieve by that test? So I sort of could see the end um, insight. Yep. So I helped with the testing. I did business. So then we realized that, well, you're not capturing all of the right requirements from, from the right people. So I eventually moved into a business analyst role where I was actually writing up um, the requirements documents and so people knew how to then build the right product to deliver. Okay. So I did that and I worked on three different projects in lots of different capacities. So it was mostly testing um, business um, analytics and okay. I looked at their budgets a little bit. And then I was poached within GE um, which into a team called business support analyst, which is essentially, sorry, no, no. Yeah. Keep going. Which is no, a, no, no. I didn't say anything. I, I okay. was just thinking. Did you say NGE or within GE? Within within GE. Yeah, I thought you yeah, did. That General was the only thing that finance. I was. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was poached into that role, um, and it's funny because I was actually on holiday at the time. I was headhunted, and the head of that department contacted me and said we'd love to have you, you know, interview for this role as a business support analyst. And I thought, I said to him, I have no idea what that role is. I don't even know, no offense, with all due respect, I don't even know what your team does. <laughs> you know, I'd never heard My of you before. My second question would have been, is it really well paid? And if the salary is good, then yes, I'll learn and I'll do it. <laughs> and yes, that he answered both of those questions and it was a tick to both. So it was definitely yeah. a pay up. So um, he said to me, come in, we'll have a chat when you come back from leave. And we did. And very quickly I realized it was essentially when, 
when, um, so we had a call center where there were IT problems and they would contact people and they'd say in the call center and they'd say there's an issue. Um, and you, something's not working for example. And, um, and if it was not a clear cut, well, has this thing ever worked before? We don't even know if this functionality has ever even been switched on. Then it would go to the business support team, which would have been, which is where I ended up, um, to investigate and find out is this something that should have been working, um, you know, or maybe it's never worked and we've never created that function. So then we turned right. it into a mini project. Um, and wow. so I would gather the requirements and I would gather all the intel and I would essentially be the translator between the the, the customer who would call up with that problem and the IT team who, yeah. by all accounts, they weren't speaking the same language. So Which I that, This sounds be- like quite a creative kind of a job as well in even though ironically I wouldn't have thought at on the surface that it was yes um, and it really is of, actually I mean yeah. I've always seen myself as the translator between the business the project team you know and any yeah. other technicians that need to play a part and I am and it's interesting because I've never seen myself as a creative person and in fact I used to say oh I'm, I don't have a creative bone in me which is quite funny because but it's creative problem solving it is creative problem solving and actually I am quite creative because Probably when I was 15, my first business was actually as a choreographer where I assembled um, <laughs> Mauritian girls um, to do cultural Mauritian dancing. And I even worked with a tourism Australia okay, to do on, that. Hang on, hang I on, hang on. You never I mentioned know, any of this. So, right, let's go back. So when was that? When did that happen? So when I was 15, I've always been, I've always so loved dancing. I was at school. Yeah. yeah, I was. I've always loved dancing, and um, and I was approached, you know, to do some little performances. So the the traditional Mauritian dance is called the Sega, right. um, and I've always done the Sega just for passion. And then somebody approached me and said, "Hey, we want to do a couple of gigs. Can you help out? Because you seem to come up with these really." And I was fifteen, you know, you come yeah. up with these good ideas. So I choreographed, you know, and they they got all the the people, the group together, and I choreographed a couple of the dances for the show. How big um, are we talking about? What sort of size dancing team? So the team to begin with, we were probably about six people. I think we started off with, okay, but we yeah. were performance to audience of two hundred plus wow. people. Yeah, and, and because I've always cool. danced, it never even, and I never saw it as a big thing, you know, because I've just always been able to do that, and um, and so we they would basically. Um, it turned into a business before I knew it. I was recruiting um, dancers girls and boys and of all varying ages and, and experiences and we would choreograph and um there was a reputation I never needed to market people just understood the reputation so who employs singer teams like who who where would you dance so we would dance for so typically in Australia or in Melbourne they have dances every probably quarter so big dances for the community for the and community they, right for the community um but then they so we also did um we did Christmas parties, um, all sorts of, because people were starting right. to be more interested in cultural performances and yeah. something that's a bit different to your normal comedian that comes in, I suppose. Um, yeah, totally. So we did, um, and we did it for lawyers, um, accounting firms, you name it, all so sorts of different So this was all trade. sort of your weekend and, and you were paid for it? Weekend I was kind of paid for money. it. Um, and then wow. it became sort of New Year's Eve performances, Christmas before Christmas performances, all sorts of things all over the year, uh, Mother's 
Mother's Day special performances. So it became a full-blown business that I ran on the side um, for 10 yeah. years, actually, until I was 25. Stop it. I did. I know. And you forgot to mention that <laughs> when we did. were talking it's about funny. you growing it's... up. That's amazing. <laughs> and so yes. what stopped you? What stopped you? Why aren't you doing it now? I'm not doing well. It just became too difficult to recruit and met a boy, you know, got married, right. had children, all those responsibilities. So, yeah, um, yeah. and it's, I never really ever planned to start it as a business. It probably went on for longer than I would have expected, but it's because yeah, 10 years. I felt like people were really enjoying it. And, and there were people, there were, there were young girls and boys who'd come and see me and say, Hey, can we go into the show? You know, and I felt like I just never wanted to say no because. It just, for me, with everything that was going on in my life, it gave me such a huge outlet, um, yes, you know, a, yes. a way of being able to just leave it all on the dance floor and have fun. And when you dance, you can't not smile. So, um, That's true. and I loved the joy I felt, but I loved the joy that I was able to give to other people through it. So, um, but it was, you know, like th the administration and all that sort of stuff was not really what I wanted to do. It was just more yeah. as a side thing. So when you left, did you hand it over to someone or did you I just close it all down? I just closed it all down. So Oh, Kareem. Yes. Well, when your kids get older, you're going to have to do it again. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's I've already started teaching them, so and they love it. So it'd be great to see them following that yeah, footstep. Yeah, I'm sure for fun. Okay, so now let's go back to GE. You yes. have no, it wasn't GE. Then you got another role. What was the no, role? Then no, so I was GE? still within GE, oh, yeah. and it was a business support analyst. Um, yeah. And I did that probably for about two years, and then it just came to a natural conclusion. I felt like I'd done all that I could do in that role, um, yeah. and. And I wanted to move out and things were changing and it was just, I just needed to get out at that time for me. Um, and I thought, well, I've done an HR degree, so I should try my hand at least at HR because I have the degree, the piece of paper to show. Um, yeah. So it was recommended that I actually go into recruitment because it's kind of faster than HR. You get to deal with lots of different businesses. Oh, I thought so it was the same thing. <laughs> well, no, it's not um, because recruiting right. is heavily sales, whereas HR is not meant to be sales at all. It's about managing this. Oh, so recruitment is about finding the people and bringing them in. Yes. And HR is about managing them once they are in. I, I don't think I had ever realised that, that, that that was the subtle difference between those two. Well, actually, it's probably even bigger than that. So the recruitment um, recruitment is essentially the hiring and firing and looking at contracts and that type of thing of employees, whereas HR right. is a far more encompassing. So you would look at strategy plans. You would look at capability, you know, skills, uplifting. You would look at um, compensations. You would look at lots of extra things. You would know the right. legalities. Whereas in HR, you don't, in, sorry, in recruitment, you don't need to have that extensive level of knowledge. You no, can have it's internal. It's really about people. Yeah, you can have in-house recruitment for, or external. unfortunately for 10 years or so, it's been algorithms, hasn't it? Just really, it does really the has. person fit? Have they got the right keywords? Like it just shits me. Yes, but anyway, I know. Um, okay, so yes. you've got this opportunity to go mm -hmm. into recruitment. Yeah, so I did that yeah. um, for, well, I did that for just over a year actually. I loved finding the right people to place into the right roles. But unfortunately, the people I worked for, and I won't name names because <laughs> they're quite well known, yep. um, but I think their work ethic and their recruitment, their way of hiring people was not really based on the right personality fit and the right, you know, the right human yep. fit is what I call it, oh, not necessarily I personality. I feel, I feel yeah. like that's a thing in the industry. And when LinkedIn came and some of the other things started happening around recruitment and now post-pandemic, I feel like that industry needed a shake-up. 
Yes, and, absolutely. And people, you know, young kids who don't know any better can go mm. in and, uh, you know, be, be treated like rubbish really by the people in recruitment companies. But older people would know that it's 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 been a deeply unsatisfying experience yes. for a hell of a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, you know, I did it. A year in recruitment is a very long time because it's so fast paced and I was recruiting for contract roles, which is quite different to permanent roles because it's sort of, you need to find somebody often because they're only going to be there for six months. So you need to be moving all the time. So I had lots of um, roles to fill and lots of, you know, back then we didn't even have the, the, the algorithm. So I was looking at I'd get a 200 emails per day of, of resumes that I would have to siphon through, you know, and try and find the right words and right understanding of the roles and everything. Right. So um, it did my head in after a year. <laughs> I just thought. I can understand that. It's not It's not for me. I mean, it, I think you just have to be that type of personality and yeah. I, it was just not for me. So. Everybody has their, has their spot. Yes. So what did you do? How old are you at this stage? Like roughly how long ago is this? At, oh, God, this is, this is 20 years ago. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Wow. So what happened after that? I know. So, I'm like, we've got a lot of career to cover I know, still. No, no, no. Um, after that I was, uh, so I left and I decided that projects was my thing, but I also knew that as you've said before, projects has a big meaning. What does that mean? Where do I fit? You know, what are the different roles yeah. that even exist? So I basically set my sights to understanding what those roles look like um, and then see where, where I would fit. Um, so I, I moved to Coles Meyer for exactly that intention, and I worked on lots of different roles um, playing. Oh, Coles Meyer. Yes, um, on one yeah. of their transformation. It was a very large transformation project, which was terrific because it gave me the opportunity to try out different things and then see what sat with well with me, what didn't, what I liked to do, what I didn't want to do. Um, so I initially started as a project coordinator, which is essentially like an administrator, Um but because it was such a large program of work, I got to try different things like um, I got to try uh, working on the financials, understanding the requirements, gathering process, you know, so I, I learned lots of the language and how it all comes together. Um, and then it didn't, it probably took me about six months to realise that I wanted to be a project manager um, because I loved leading people. I love setting that direction. I loved to be able to champion people on, um, so that they can get the work done. And that's really, that's where I saw myself. So, um, I spent my time, I guess, developing my skills enough to be able and having the confidence to be able to take on that role. Um, and because it was such a, a big piece of work, like the transformation was so big, uh, I was very quickly given that opportunity to test out my, cut my teeth, if you like, as a project, a junior project manager. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so that was probably my first experience. And I spent the next five years basically working on lots of different projects throughout the company, um, you know, within the, the transformation, it was an IT transformation. Um, so there were lots of different roles, um, lots of mini sort of projects that came up through it. Um, so that was a lot of the experience that I, I got to have. And then from there, I then started to, I wanted to, to get more structure in terms of my, my skills. So I, I did all the right um, courses and I, you know, I became more certified and all that sort of stuff. Um, because I guess I decided this is what I really want to pursue. Yep. Yep. Okay. Mm. So are we almost at the stage that you started projecting now? Yes. Yes, we are. So, okay. So, so but there must've been something 
that did that stopped you from going and getting another job in this space? What was it that made you decide you were going to go out on your own? Yeah, well, so so prior to me starting on my own for about about 15, 17 years, I was an independent consultant um, as a project manager. So basically um, it'd be like a contractor except I would, people would actually normally refer me on to various large organizations. So the likes of Telstra and, you know, and and Metro and things like that. And basically I had a reputation. I worked for those companies and I was probably working on lots of different projects at the time because they had lots of projects that would come on that either their staff didn't know how to keep moving or because there was a constant change of leadership and direction, um, people had been disillusioned. And so I worked on those projects um, for some time. And and unfortunately, it was around the time where people were looking at doing a lot more restructures to intentionally sort of move the the resource pool around. Because as we know, in the past, people would stick around in jobs for a long time. So you had a lot yeah. of dead weight, if you'd like. Um, and so it was... If, if, <laughs> Sorry, it just makes me laugh because people of my mum's era, for instance, and, and you would relate to this, always go, why can't you just get a job and stay there for the next 20 yes. years? Yes. What is wrong with you? Why, why do young people always want to move around these days? Yes. <laughs> Not that, and I consider myself a young person, obviously. Yes. Um, but it just makes me laugh when you when from the business point of view, you go and you've got to carry all this dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> So not Absolutely. loyal employees, but um, yeah. But anyway, I'm just having a well, giggle. Well, they were probably loyal for the wrong reasons to some extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what what happened is, is you know, it was like the pendulum swinging. It went from never getting rid of anybody to getting rid of too many people, and so um, and getting rid of lots of people and valuable people at the same time. And so you couldn't actually right. see, you know, the end of any particular project. Um, you couldn't make things work. People were working way too hard, um, you know, to try and get everything done, which means you compromise quality. Um, so that yeah. had a huge part to play in me leaving, but so too did uh, me having two kids, two young kids at the time. And as a, as right. a consultant, I was working ridiculous hours and I was pretty much just, you know, I'd I'd drop the kids off at childcare. They'd be one of the first ones there. I'd pick them up. They would be the last ones there. We would literally be switching off the lights at the childcare center. I'd come home, you know, feed them. Really, all I was trying to do is just rush them off to bed just so I could start work again. I've done that life. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's just. No, it's not fun. And, and, and how can I just ask mm-hmm. how far apart are your kids? How, when you say you had two young kids, were They're they twenty months apart? Oi, yeah, yeah. okay, I got you now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so almost feeling like years. twins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. I know that one very well. Yes. So, um, so what? So, if, so with that lifestyle issue, mm. and and what was going on with the job. Were you nervous about going out on your own? How, what did your partner think or your, oh, your husband think? Did he think this is a great idea? We're probably still going through therapy um, because of that, actually. <laughs> 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 the thing is, is that I'm the sort of person that if I've decided something, I'll make the jump immediately, good right. or bad, but it's just how oh, it is. Oh, I love is. that. I do too. And, uh, and so when I decided I was in between contracts, my contract was needing to be renewed. I was offered a job um, as a permanent role to head up, you know, another department. Um, And I just, and I didn't like their style of leadership. There were so many things I didn't like. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to sign another contract to do the same that I don't like, that is not really fulfilling my desires or my family needs or anything. So 
I'm going to leave and I've got enough skill set and I'll find something. But I didn't really right. have any more thought than that. Okay. Um, and I kind of just left. Can I, can, may I just ask, hubby has a good job so you weren't too worried about jumping <laughs> and yes. not having anything there? That's, that is true to an extent, but I didn't yeah. tell him about it at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> Hence the therapy still now. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, but do, look. Other than that, um, that business of like the, the, um, uh, there were probably gaps in my story that because you forget all the things that you've done. I know, right? I know. I, I know. Um, in between my career, I've also then started two other styles of businesses. So other than the um, the dancing business that I had, I also we be, yeah. we um, started a uh, property development business together, my husband and I, and um, and oh, so. Wow. So we were doing that. I also, because I've been a dancer and I was doing more structured dancing, ballroom dancing, um, and I was starting to do some competitions, I decided to start a dance shoe business because I saw a gap in the market um, right. where people who were just, you know, um, novice dancers or amateur dancers didn't want to spend $300 for a pair of dance shoes. They wanted to get something that they could feel and try without having to spend, you know, all crazy money yeah. without trusting the cheapos on the internet. So I started a dance business, dance shoe business. Um, and then I also, um, started a recruitment, my own recruitment consultancy. (laughs) uh, Oh, I love this career. It's funny because I've, I interview people and I love the entrepreneurial side of things and I listen to people's careers and to hear you suddenly go, Oh, and by the way, there's three other businesses I started. (laughs) You are absolutely an entrepreneur. So it's good that you're now out on your own, but right. So some of those businesses were able to sustain you a bit at first as well. Absolutely. And I think I look, I actually consciously decided to stop each of those businesses because they were all starting to do quite well. But I think ultimately (laughs) I just, I just knew that I was not completely connected to any of those businesses. So I think the fact that I started at this one, um, it's always felt right, even though, and I was probably always destined to start something um, and to be, you know, an ongoing entrepreneur. But I got to this one where I just felt like I didn't have all the answers, but actually it just felt right to me. I just felt like this is the gap that I'm made for, I'm made to fill. Um, And I think that was the difference between this business and the others. I didn't even have all the answers for this one, whereas the other ones I'd probably done a lot more planning and thought and, you know, maybe not the dance, but that kind of just happened. But I still... I was more active in it, whereas with this, this business, I wasn't as active in in it. I just I just knew I wanted to start it. There was just a gap. So right, and I think those were the drivers for me to really start it, um, without really knowing that I was going to be a coach or a trainer at the time. I just thought I want to help you know smaller businesses with their projects because they don't have access to the same um, cash like consulting figures to be able to bring somebody on. But my question to you is, was there a first client? Was there something that, that made you kind of go, look, I'll go out on my own because I can work with this company. So there was going to be a job straight away. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I literally plunged off the uh, off the cliff and hoped there weren't I think any they rocks. Say that, what is it? Um, fools go where angels fear to oh tread. Oh, my God, yes. And it's that whole thing, and I love it as well, Yes. Um, where you just go, you know what, I'll just give it a go. The worst thing that can happen, and, I mean, I say this to anyone who's listening because I, I feel the same way about starting a business. The worst thing that can happen is you will end up where you were in the first place and you'll have to go and get a job. Absolutely. That is really 
it, so why wouldn't you take the risk? Yeah. Because if it works, it'll be brilliant. So now tell us about how well it's working. Yes, exactly my thoughts too. And um, and thankfully, I haven't needed to take a, a job. Look, I did start this particular business at the beginning of, did I, dare I say, the pandemic. Um, oh, my God, really? So early yeah. 2020? Yes, early 2020. Yeah, nice March, timing, actually, exactly the time when we were <laughs> oh all shut God, down. Right. So, so what that did for me is it tested my resilience and tested I my um, my desire to actually want to do it and uh, my commitment. Um, it also made me be a little bit different with my approach because I've always been very good at meeting with people and then, you know, getting business in whatever it is that I've done. Um, but I, well, I wasn't able to do that. So I had to find other ways of doing it. So I, I attended lots of um, online networking groups and then yep. tested out different products to see how how I sell it, how it works for me, how it helps other people, you know, and just start small little things that I knew I was already good at that people just went, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that sort of thing, you know. So and that's really how my first training program came about where I offered it for peanuts at the time. Yeah. But I thought, well, at least it gives me an audience and it gives me people right. to trial things on. Um, and and out testimonials of it, and a whole it. lot of other things All that come of out those of things. offering and it. Beta testers. <laughs> that's exactly right, beta testers. And, and also because – as a consultant, I'd done so many different things. And even in my career, I'd done so many different things. Which one is it that I definitely want to be, you know, putting out there and, and yeah, that I want yeah. to be selling as a service as opposed to just something that I, I'm just good at doing, you know? So um, so I, I was able to test out lots of different things. And I ended up coming up with a 64-page training manual out of it because you realize how much knowledge you store inadvertently that you, you just draw on without really realizing. So um, yeah. that was probably the first process. And then it helped me to sort of um, fine tune through because I was at home and I was working from home I was able to fine-tune the different services that I offered and and these days now I'm able to articulate that in a very structured way um yes yeah. very clear I got that right from the beginning <laughs> wow you are amazing all right now we've only probably got another five minutes or sure. so yes let me just ask you a couple of questions that I always like to ask one is this is a podcast for women in business yes. so therefore and my my pet thing in the world is that I don't think enough women in business are made visible. So my question to you is, have there been any women along the way that you would like to tell us about that have been great at supporting you? And if they haven't, that's fine as well. But um, sadly, they haven't. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so sorry. But, but I don't, but I don't think um, it's, it's because of any particular reason. I think it was just no. timing and who I was around at the time. That said, um, my first training program was actually consumed by a woman um, who was a bookkeeper and just saw my passion and saw the possibilities and she decided yeah. to buy in, even though she wasn't entirely sure about what we were going to get out of this. So um, so from that perspective, oh, I look good. at those sorts of people who supported me you know, through the services. Um, I've probably had more champions these days in my career, um, but I guess it's, I don't think it's through anybody's fault necessarily. Right. And um, do you, are you delighted that you've made the leap? I mean, is do you have any regrets there? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> on, on and any it's level. so good when you're a mum as well, I think, that um, working for yourself just gives you that opportunity. I mean, you know, we talk about it and everybody knows it, but it's so true to be able to, if they're having a sick day, stay home with them. If they're yes. having a pizza day at school to be able to go in or they're having an art 
show and you want to be able to go in and and I remember for me the whole thing was always the um the dress up day, the book week or whatever, and they would do a little marathon around the school oval and I'd be able to watch yes. just those little things like that. Absolutely. Okay. You just can't get ha- back. No. Now you are so incredibly organized and um clever. My <laughs> other question to you, which I'm sure you've thought about, is that having now interviewed nearly two hundred and fifty women, there is a very common theme that runs through all of the the interviews. Um, that a lot of women push themselves and push themselves and don't give themselves time out. And then, uh-oh, suddenly they're burnt out and, and that can be quite catastrophic for some of them. How are you doing the juggle to avoid that? What sort of hours are you working and do you have some rules in place to give you time out? Yeah, I do. Um, and I don't know that I'm necessarily great at it. I think when it's your own when it's your own business, because the lines of passion are often blurred, um, yes, I'm not always good at sticking true. to my own rules. However, um, I always make sure that I have family commitments in the calendar first. And that might include just downtime on the weekend with the kids. So I don't necessarily yep. have a rule of not working on the weekend um, because I might choose to work on the weekend because I've chosen to take half the morning off on a weekday to go and support my kids' book clubs and things like that. So I put those things in the calendar first as though they are paid appointments and then I work around, you know, around the other times that I I choose to work. I like that. Okay. And last but not least, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? (laughs) (laughs) I love that question. It's funny because I feel like there are lots of quirky facts about me. Well, well, certainly being a Mauritian dancer is one. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's right. I thought I'd already said them. Um, I think maybe the fact that I've never truly grown up. I think that's my quirky fact. <laughs> I, I am I am a successful person in business and, you know, I can be a grown-up when I need to be, but I actually really enjoy being a child and that helps right. me. And so that means, for example, for birthdays, I wake the whole family up before they have a chance to wake me um, <laughs> to celebrate my birthday <laughs> because I'm still that kid at heart. And I think that's you know, that's what helps me stay connected to my kids and what's really important. Um, I think that's and right. it just helps to find the sunshine in on those gloomy days because as a business owner, as you would know, there are plenty. I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything, but there are plenty of really gloomy days that we've got to get ourselves through. There are plenty through. of ups and downs, that's for sure. Absolutely. Peaks and troughs is, is, the, is the, way, the way of the entrepreneur for sure. Mm, definitely. Well, Corrine, I just have absolutely loved interviewing you. Now, if anyone wants you to work for them, oh, two, one, well, two things. One is tell people how they can get hold of you and also just tell us very quickly what sort of clients do you like working with? Just in case someone's listening and go, because I would employ you in a heartbeat if I had <laughs> um, to get a project done. Yeah. So what sort of clients are you looking for? So it, the industry doesn't really matter. Um, more about right. where – so. Typically, there are two reasons why people come to me. Firstly, because they're they're at the point of they've grown really quickly and then they can't get any any further forward because Traction. they've hit a ceiling um, and they realise their projects are actually um, not causing them any benefit. So their their projects is what's really holding them back. Um, yep. And they might have great people in the projects, but they're just not moving. So that's one of the reasons people would come and see me when they want to continue that growth trajectory. Um, and also people who are freshly starting a new project 
team or launching a new product um, and they don't, you know, they don't want to get it wrong to begin with. So those right. are the main two reasons why people would come and work with me. Um, right. Yeah, and I do things like mentoring. So if you, people have, you know, a really good shining star, we don't want to lose good people, especially at the moment. Um, that's a way of keeping people in. So people come and see me because I help to mentor one person so they can sort of be your your head project person. Um, and then it's more like a Great, trainer, I like trainer. That. So that's through a mentor. I like that idea of retaining the superstar yeah. in the business by you working with them. And I can imagine that you'd very convincingly make them want to stay. So what is the best way for people to get hold of you? What's the website address? So the website address is projecting.com.au. Um, so www.projecting.com.au or very active on LinkedIn. So um, if you search at Kareen O'Donnell um, on LinkedIn, you'll find you will me. Find me. Um, I also right. have my projecting with people. So at projecting with people on Facebook, I'm so bad at social media, but on Facebook or Instagram, I have special people who look after me in that way. And they, they do that stuff for <laughs> me. So, <laughs> Well, I don't even bother with Instagram. It's just a whole black hole that I don't even understand, but Facebook and LinkedIn particularly is my baby. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Wow, Corrine, I have I've loved every time I've met you, which I don't think this is probably the third time we've met now, but thank you so much for sharing your story with me and I can't wait to share it online. Thank you so much, Jules. I really appreciate you making time for me. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.